This is Urban Tiger Radio, a project supported by CybermouseMultimedia.com, sponsors of our free weekly podcasts. Search for Urban Tiger Radio in the iTunes Store or on Stitcher.com and hit the subscribe button to receive free automatic downloads. Please remember to share and rate our show before you leave. This week's episode is Just Dessert, a culinary tour through the heart, hopes, loves and wishes of a lonely middle-aged chef. Just Dessert by Bill Allerton. Hilda dropped the lard into the bowl where its grey bulk reminded her instantly of Frank. It wasn't the extra fat, it was the way you had to scrape it off your fingers. Frank had had a way of holding on. An arm around your waist was wonderful, but when you felt it suddenly tighten at the approach of another man, any other man, it began to be a little disconcerting. And by the time they got through playing twenty questions about where she'd been all day, she'd decided enough was enough. It took a while longer to convince Frank. It had felt strange being a prisoner in your own home, afraid to pick up the phone when it rang. Josie would let it ring twice, then dial again. When Hilda answered, she would say, This is fun speaking. The flower poured silently into the bowl. Eight ounces of pure George, nightclub tan, ghostly and slippery, pouring like dust through her fingers. If only he could have stuck a little, had a touch of Frank about him. She recalled the night she'd found him, sat in the corner of the club hiding from the bingo. She could have told him, there's no escape from bingo. He'd called her a couple of times since, his voice always subdued on the other end of the phone and the block always on the ring back. Watch him, Josie had said. Teflon coated, that one. She hated it when her sister was right. She rubbed in the yard until the flour congealed into soft, rubbery sticky lumps kneaded in the milk then rolled them all together with a pin she scraped the carrots then chopped them into three across their length chanting all the while George Henry Frank George Henry Frank as the pieces grew shorter she threw a whole one into the colander and smiled with contentment as she remembered Jack the beef she trimmed into strips and arranged like the rows of muscles that had bound Simon's stomach she closed her eyes for a moment and remembered how they'd felt hard against her spine or pushing ridges into her softer belly. She counted them with slick fingers and dreamed of them long after his six-pack had turned into Boddington's. She'd gone with him to the gym for a while, but the aerobics was like giving birth stood up and although she'd enjoyed the bike, she thought it should have been fitted with landscapes on a scrolling screen. Mallorca would have been nice full of lush hills and rolling men, or was it rolling hills and lush men? She took out the earthenware dish that reminded her of Michael, glazed bronze exterior but the inside vacuous and pale, sucked clean by an ego that wouldn't make allowances for imperfections, however minor, especially hers. And that was where he'd taken her. Mallorca, well, sort of. She'd paid the flights and he'd got the apartment, as it turned out, he borrowed it from a friend, complained about it the whole fortnight, sheets too heavy, walls the wrong colour, plates chipped and only enough cutlery for two. It wasn't as if he'd paid for it. And there were only two of us. 
I wonder who else he'd been expecting. And no, she hadn't ever thought of having her boobs lifted. And no, she hadn't ever thought of having a nose job. Not until she broke his, that is. She added half a pint of stout to the dish that contained the meat and thought of Patrick, dark and fiery, watching all the time as if the devil was after him, trusted no one, small and darting as a ferret, nerves as tight as the skin on a boram. He'd lurched out of the masons into her arms one night as she was passing. She'd taken one long look into those dark brown eyes and nearly dropped him. They'd held each other up off the pavement for a moment, and suddenly it seemed like a good idea to hang on, and perhaps if they let go they might just both fall over. Only one of them did. She watched as the strips of beef swam like red mullet, swift and marinating beneath the dark foam-flecked liquid. Patrick was a man who'd liked a good time. Problem was, it took so much of the Guinness to loosen him up, it loosened all of him up at once, and a woman has to have a handle on a man somewhere. She thought of the night she decided to join him instead of complaining. They'd been barred from three pubs and rolled out of the crown onto the pavement in a fit of giggles and fighting each other with soft fists in the rain and the laughter gurgling along with the water down the gutter. She hadn't had so much fun since... Well, a broken leg in 54 sprang to mind. The tap water ran cold and clear, bouncing sparks of sunlight from the stainless bowl under the window. The garden was lovely, the flowers bright and nodding their heads gently, just like... Well, Hilda stood quietly for a second, the onion held tightly in her left hand, paring knife in her right, her eyes filling with tears. There was only one man could do that, and she wouldn't remember his name. She could feel it screaming inside this locked-away place like a starving animal crying to be set free. No, he was there, and there he would stay, forever. She stopped for a moment and listened as the screaming grew louder inside her head. Her eyes overspilled, and the tears flowed like river along her cheeks and down her neck into the top of her blouse where they collected in bright, glistening pearls along the chain that held the locket that contained... Well, she hadn't looked in there since, either. She felt the pressure inside her lessened with the flow of the tears and shook them away with a wry smile. She looked down at the onion in her left hand and realised that she hadn't yet broken the skin. It had been that long since she'd thought of Tim. The potatoes were lumpy and very much donald, at first hard and unyielding, then later when she applied the heat, giving and crumbling, softening away all the textures that had drawn her to him in the first place. The darkly calloused exterior, the honesty of his fingernails scarred and pitted. At first... He'd just tidied himself up a bit, and he started to blend into the shape he'd thought she wanted, just to please her. Men can never understand, she thought, that when a woman complains you're rough, it sometimes means she's enjoying it, a bit, or that she isn't. It's a curious thing about men, is that, thought Hilda, yet women understand it exactly. There's no grey area. She twisted the eyes out of a large potato with the tip of the pearer, it's strange how they can't see, 
she thought. She cut some of the pastry and lined the dish with it, giving Michael some substance for once. The stock with the meat and Guinness poured dark across it. Simon and Patrick would have liked that. They could have drunk and fought and regaled each other with tales of heroic feats of prodigious consumption, and Patrick could have sung the tears out of them with his dark Irish eyes and his dark Irish songs of conflict and injustice and the lolling tongues of hanged men carried in the wrong pubs in the wrong part of town at the wrong time of night. And maybe Simon could have fought back for some of his earlier discipline, and maybe, just maybe they might both have looked a little better in the daylight. The blinded potatoes shrank into the cold water where salt stung the bereavement of their unseeing eyes. They would wait a while, like the call she had promised Donald. The carrot wheels quenched their orange glow like deep smoky setting suns where they fell beneath the surface of the gravy. She placed the whole one in a corner of the dish and marked the edge of the pastry with a thumbnail so that she would remember where it was. The onions slipped their tiny silver crescent moons into the darkness, sailing like a thousand nights drawn and woven seamlessly into one. Maybe this one. The dish slid onto the third shelf of a warm, expectant oven. She picked up three Henrys from the rack in the fridge, cracked the first into a saucer and saw immediately the way he'd towered above the crowds in Istanbul. She cracked the second, remembered his high forehead gleaming with sweat in the brilliant sun, gold-capped as any minaret, and him calling her name out loud like her own personal muezzin. He'd had the highest forehead she'd ever seen, all the way to the nape of his neck. She'd dyed her hair a brilliant blonde for that holiday and found herself being pestered incessantly by the Turkish men. She'd never had so much attention in her life. They didn't care that she was giving a little in all the wrong places, that she woke up in the morning feeling lumpy and difficult in the heat. They just wanted to touch her pale skin and white hair. She found herself being whisked along by small crowds of men and boys, the men briefly touching her hands, the boys jumping up and touching her hair, all of them fascinated by her pale blue eyes. She'd had so many offers that holiday. If only she'd known what they were. They'd all disappeared like smoke when Henry turned up, the young boys laughing behind their hands and galaling up the side streets and alleys in their beautiful high-pitched voices. The third egg was off. The cheese was hard and grated into the bowl the way the constantly recurring emptiness of her life grated on her nerves, shredding them noiselessly until she felt scattered and alone at the bottom of a Pyrex bowl, from which there was no escape unless someone tipped you out and from where you could see all of life passing you by forever, just out of reach where the contact and the whispers couldn't penetrate the thick glass of isolation. She longed for that strange and noisy land inside her heart that lifts then quietens with the passing of each relationship, as if it were wind raised by a good meal. She cracked another Henry into the bowl, used the rest of the pastry and lined the flandish. When the potatoes had boiled, she threw in the butter and hot milk, then mashed them purposefully into a bland, amorphous cream. Opening the oven door, 
She lifted out the dish where the shades of Patrick and Simon fought and bubbled beneath a dark Guinness haze under a thousand moons, as if the best night of their lives would last for ever, and daylight never beckon with the bony finger of reality. The sharp brown glaze that had reminded her of Michael carried the bubblings and the hissing ferment as imperturbably as she had known it would, and she realised suddenly that that was where the real problem had been. After she'd broken his nose, he'd just walked away, holding himself and his ego in with both hands and the blood pouring down between his fingers and his new and permanent indifference pouring across her from the way he walked and the way he ignored her voice. All she'd really wanted was a reaction. Perhaps a slap, perhaps something, in fact anything, anything that would have made her feel like a real person instead of an accessory like a handbag or a pair of discarded shoes in the bottom of a wardrobe, in the back of the bottom of the wardrobe, in the deepest, darkest, dustiest recesses of an old and forgotten, locked and misplaced key of a wardrobe, where anything would have opened the door, but didn't. She scraped the potatoes onto the top of the meat and vegetables and smoothed them over with the back of a fork. She drew the fork across, making raised lines, then again at right angles to the first, raising them into little peaks that would brown in the silent roar of the oven in just the way she wanted them to. Peeled, boiled, mashed, shaped and browned, all with no resistance. Suddenly, and to Hilda somewhat inexplicably, the thought drained away all sense of achievement. He eats well she thought, watching him a moment before clearing away the pie dish that was almost emptied. On a sudden impulse she had left the corner with the whole carrot untouched, as if reserving Jack, or at least his memory, for later, perhaps for lunch tomorrow, when, expecting to be alone as usual, she could savour the thought for a moment without disturbance. The cheese flan sat pale and unfinished on the hob, waiting for supper, waiting for Jim to say that he'd stay a while. She'd found him at the tea dance, where he'd slid her around the floor on feet of oiled silk, but not entirely. He'd driven her home, finding ways across town that she herself had never dreamed existed. It was quicker that way, he'd said, but it wasn't. Not entirely. And now here he sits on my sofa, thought Hilda, full of my best pie, but, she thought, not entirely. A good man can always find room for a little old tart. Well, that's all for this week's show, folks. I hope you enjoyed your free podcast from Urban Tiger Radio. And if you've hit that subscribe button, you'll be hearing from us again in a week's time. So it's a goodbye from me and a... <coughs> from Nelly. Goodbye.